So I was out in Oklahoma City this week for the International Conference on Missions. It's a bit, probably the biggest missions conference in the world. And it moves around, but they chose Oklahoma City in November. I'm not sure I get that, but that's okay. And I was in the Midwest. It was fun. And so I thought, well, I'll get some pictures. Haven't been in the Midwest in the fall for a while. So I, I wanted to show you one of the pictures that I got. Um, <clears throat> It was actually some excellent footage. <clears throat> I also learned this week that um, men are much more blunt and honest than women. Women will just look at you. You know you're wrong. You know you're guilty. You don't know what, but they, but they may not say it. Men will just say it. The man will just walk up to you and go, dude, you're... You put on weight. I said, yeah, well, I've had, a lot of, I've had a lot on my plate lately. Have you enjoyed this study of Genesis? All right. Cord and I have had such a blast uh, teaching it. Uh, because when you go through a book of the Bible, it forces you to be honest. It forces you to take on verses you'd rather not, uh, topics you'd rather not. If you just hopped around, you don't do that. Uh, so we got, uh, this week and next week, we'll finish the book. And then we'll do a Christmas series. And then next year, we're going to do First and Second Corinthians. So if you'd like to uh, start reading ahead. Uh, probably the most corrupt culture and the most difficult and struggling church uh, in the New Testament, and it's how God deals with them, and it's an amazing, amazing story. So we'll be we'll be going through that. But we, today we're in Genesis 48. Next week, 49 and 50. Uh, but in 48, Jacob is about to die. He's an old man. He's 147 years old, and Joseph is ruling uh, maybe maybe a few hours away by chariot because uh, he's still running Egypt. And he's got, you know, dad situated, things are going well. They send word that the old man's dying. And uh, so Joseph's going to go and say his goodbyes. And we're going to take a look at this story today about there comes a time when you realize I've got to get going. And sometimes it's when you're older and you realize you're running out of time. Sometimes you're in Joseph's slot where you're like, okay, I'm in the middle of my life. There's some things I got to change to get, get going. And sometimes you're in the grandchild phase where you're like, I'm young. And now is the chance for me to shape my life and really get going. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, uh, we, we're going to read the first part of the chapter, the end of the chapter, and I'll fill in the blanks as we go. So sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, uh, Jacob rallied his strength and he sat up on the bed. So he's, he's uh, bed bound. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me. And he said, I'm going to make you fruitful. Now, this is an interesting word, all right? And I only stopped for a second because this is so, it's not the right word that he should have used. You would think he's using a word here about fruit, about a fruit tree, about multiplying. But he uses a word here for fish. It's really a weird word. 
because fish are the fastest multiplying animals in the world. And he says, I, I pray that you will be blessed like fish. Now remember, in, when Israel leaves, by the time we get to the book of Exodus, they have grown so big that the king of Egypt is terrified of the Israelis. They were that fruitful. He said, and I will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land might want to note this while you're watching the news tonight. And I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Wow. Okay. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Now, he's not stealing the children. He's talking about their their uh, lines about their inheritance. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. They will be in your line of dissension. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I have returned from Syria to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Israel while we were still on the way. A little distance from Bethlehem. So I buried her there beside the road to Bethlehem. And Rachel's grave is still there. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said, no, my father, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. That would be the blessing. May God bless you like Ephraim and Manasseh that you just are so blessed that you've got so much. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you as one who is over your brothers... I give the ridge of land that I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. You can be seated. Again, where are you going to go with that? Well, here we go. So the the whole point is that the church of Jesus, if we're going to be effective, we have to get going. But it starts in an interesting way because Jacob wants to go backwards. Jacob brings Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh in. The boys are in their 20s. Joseph's probably in his mid-40s by this point. 147 for the old man. And he starts reminiscing about his past. Now, this is very interesting. Joseph knows this whole story. Ephraim and Manasseh know this story. How many times have you sat with your grandpa? If you are the grandpa, I'm sorry. And... uh, Grandpa starts a story and you're like, oh, no, not that story again. Not the one about Detroit. Not that one. All right. Okay. Let me tell you what's going on. They're wanting to pass down these great stories. And in this particular case, Jacob goes through his whole life story. Well, Joseph knows it well. I'm telling you, the grandkids are sick of hearing it. But Grandpa's going to tell them this story one more time. 
about how all the hard things he went through and yet how faithful God was. And how faithful God was. And how faithful God was. And ever so often you and I have to stop and we have to go back and take a look at where we came from. Because while I would like to say, yeah, we've got 10,000 shoeboxes. And we still might, once you guys know that I have a QR code, where that might happen. But when I look back five years and see that we had 1,500 and now we have 7,500, wow. See, that's what has to happen, though, in your life. You think, man, I'm not making progress. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm still frustrated. But then you go back and look and you say, well, I am not what I was five years ago. I have made progress. I have moved forward. And Jacob wants to make sure that his son and his grandsons know how faithful God has been. Because Jacob's got some ugly stories. There's some painful stuff that we've spent months going through in his life. But he goes back. And by the way, if you've ever been around somebody, not dying, they'll do this. But if you've ever been around somebody in trauma... Let's say there's been a suicide. Let's say there's been a car wreck and somebody's died, uh, some other emergency. And if you're there, you'll find out that the people will tell the exact same story over and over again. It'll go something like this. Well, I, I got this phone call at 2.06 and I called back at 2.08 and I talked to this nurse named Ann. And they'll go into all these details and you'll sit there and you'll hear it. And then another cousin will call. And they'll say, well, the 206, over and over. Don't interrupt that. That's part of the grieving process. They're trying to process this. They're trying to process all this pain and all this hurt. And how could this happen? And so they're playing this over in their minds and the retelling of the story to try to get all of that pain out. But you and I owe it to the next generation to tell our stories. Even our difficult ones as to how God provided for us on the backside. <clears throat> now, there's two ways <clears throat> that we see this in our society today, negative and positive. So this is a, a picture of Megan Rapino, I think is her name. If you don't know, God bless you. Um, she's a soccer player and, uh, yeah. Let's, other than wearing socks, she and I disagree on everything uh, on planet Earth. But this was her quote from last week. She was playing in her last game, and she really believes herself to be all that in a bag of chips, and she's not even the chips. But uh, she blew out her Achilles in the last game. And her quote was, this proves there is no God. Okay. Now let's see, Megan. You hate God. You claim there is no God. Uh, you live like there's no God. Your life is completely out of line with God. And then when you blow out an Achilles, it's God's fault or it's proof that there's no God. Because if there was a God, he would certainly be worried about her soccer game. On the other hand, last, last week, here's a picture of C.J. Stroud. And I never thought I could root for a football team in Texas. But this kid playing for the Houston Texans, he was with Ohio State. He gets up at the press conference and says, look, let's just cut to the chase. It's all about Jesus Christ. You all need him to be saved. And uh, every, all the credit, anything good that ever happens in my life, Jesus gets the credit. It's like, wow. <laughs> 
So one way or the other, you and I are going to leave a legacy for our, our, those who come behind us. And it's kind of like this, all right? If you come to church looking to become offended, you'll succeed. If you go to church looking for places where people fall short, you'll find us. If you go to church looking for imperfection, you'll see it. But if you go to church looking for an opportunity to worship alongside broken people like us, you'll find it. If you go to church looking for a place to serve, you'll find one. If you go to church to love people like Jesus, you can. Ten out of ten times, you'll find what you're looking for. Look for Jesus. Pretty good stuff, huh? Revelation 2.5, the Apostle John is talking to a church that is struggling. And he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. Literally what Jesus is saying is, if you guys don't fall in love with me again, I will remove you as a church. You will no longer be a church. Remember where you came from. Go back and relive the difficulties and relive God's faithfulness. Second part of this is to go and bless people. Now, I understand what's happening in this story. He's passing on a historic blessing to his son. In fact, chapters 49 and 50, it's all the blessings to his other sons. You're going to get, you'll get that next week. But he's going to bless Joseph specifically because he rescues the family because of his faithfulness. And he's going to give a double portion of the blessing to Manasseh and to Ephraim. <clears throat> That's what's going on in the story. But here's what I want you and me to think about. What if we went about blessing people in our culture today? Because we don't live in a blessing culture. If you lived in a Jewish culture, you would, you would hear blessings. Every, when they say hello, when they say goodbye, everything in, is involved in a blessing. We live in a cursed society. You'll get cursed at 10 times before you get home. Hopefully you won't be doing the cursing as you're driving. But but how many times do you hear people cursing? And there's no rules anymore. Used to, they're in polite company. Men, women, nothing, anything goes now. People say whatever they want, wherever they want, whenever they want. And you live with curses. And we know the statistics that it takes 10 blessings to counteract one curse. So if people are living with this constant beatdown, is it any wonder they're in the mess they're in? What would happen if the church said, you know what, we're going to start being a blessing agent? Just go out, doesn't matter. Maybe things aren't right at lunch today. Spend time with the waiter or the waitress. Be kind to them. Bless them. Pray for them. Give a good tip. One of the things that drives me the craziest is waiters and waitresses hate to work on Sundays because they say Christians are cheap. That should never be. That should never be. But Luann and I were out the other night. We were out at Chili's. And this sweet girl waited on us. And I didn't think we were being overly nice. We were just being us. But, you know, we asked about her. Before we finished eating, we knew everything about her. She came over. We talked. Invited her to church. Told her her kids would be loved here. Um, she just poured her heart out. People are alone. And all they're used to is getting yelled at, complained at, literally cursed at. What would happen if, are you ready for this, men, 
if you went home and started saying words of blessing to your wife, ladies, you started saying words of blessing. I know this will be harder, but you say words of blessing to your, to your husband, parents to your children, bosses to your employees, employees to your boss. What kind of a different culture would we create if it was a culture of blessing rather than a culture that's constantly filled with cursing? That's, but that's what we're wrapped up in. And you and I have to decide. Jacob is about to die and he wants to make sure his children get blessed. But you and I get to decide every day. And you also know what it's like because there are certain people that their lives, when you're around them, they're negative, they're critical, they're complaining. Tell me that you go out of your way to spend time with those people. You do not. And if you're one of those people, people go out of their way to avoid you. So what happens if we become people that are known as people who bless? Even, you say, but wait, wait a minute, because this is the American response. What about me? I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 11. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes, refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now... Maybe it's just because of your words. Because you've blessed others, you'll be blessed inside because you were a blessing. Maybe it'll come back from them. Maybe it'll come back from somebody else. Maybe it'll come back from God. Isn't that where I want the blessing to come from anyway? So go back, remember, think, tell others these great stories of God's faithfulness. This is how the gospel has been shared down through the ages. But then go and be a blessing and bless others. And then this last part, I wasn't, again, this is what's tough about going through a book of the Bible. I wasn't going to talk about the last verse at all because I didn't understand it. I'm like, okay, verse 22 has no merit. So I was going to just not talk about it. But verse 22 is the key to the whole story. So <clears throat> when we divide up the land, let me show you. All right, we're going to talk about going home now. So when the land gets divided up, 450, 70 years later, when Joshua goes in, Joshua conquered Jericho, you with me? We go in, we take the land, the land gets divided up. Okay, so there's 12 sons, 11 sons get land, and the only son that doesn't is Levi. Levi is the priestly tribe, the priests do not get land. There's probably multiple reasons for that, but the priest are there to serve God. The priests do not get land, but they are provided for uh, by the people. So it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. So there you have each tribe, but look at Manasseh's land and look at Ephraim's land. God said, I'm going to give you a double portion, Joseph. This, All of this is what Joseph ended up with. This is pretty cool. Now, we talked last week about it doesn't matter in our world. It doesn't matter how you, you die and or you're cremated or eaten by a shark or whatever because God will remake us. We went through all of that. Uh, but in this time, it does matter where you're buried. It was a big deal to them where they were buried. And last week, we talked about in Hebron where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob wants to be buried there in Hebron in the same cave. But Jacob tells Joseph, you're not going to be buried there. 
Now, of all the people, I would think Joseph should be in that cave. But Jacob says in verse 22, he says, Joseph, I'm going to give you one ridge of land. Now, all of this is Joseph's. But there's a mountain right there, and there's a little ridge right there. It's a town called Ramallah. Probably one of the most dangerous, second most dangerous cities in the world. Hard to beat Gaza City right now. But Ramallah would be second because that's where the Palestinian Authority runs their government. And Jews, Muslims, and Christians all will tell you this is Joseph's grave. It's still there. Uh, you feel free to look it up online. There's a huge site that you can go and visit if you don't mind dying. Um, you can go there and and you can visit it. But... In the blessing process, he says to Joseph, I want you to go back to where the whole story started, where I heard from God, where God blessed me. I want you to go back and be buried on that ridge. 4,000 years later, again, people that don't believe in the Bible, there's an awful lot of history and archaeology exactly where it's supposed to be. It's, it's really an amazing thing. Now, we live in a society where people are asked questions, well, what if I don't believe this and what, I don't, what if I don't believe that? And why would a loving God send people to hell? And I've told you for 30 years, he does not. If you go to hell, it will be because of your choice. It will be because you chose not to accept Jesus. So if you're here and you've not accepted Jesus yet, Room three, right out there. We have counselors out there. Any, any, you want prayer, you need other help. If you're online, you hit the button, I've decided. But we live in such a strange time. Now, I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the end of time. And during the time of Joseph, our time of Noah, everything, the hearts of people were hardened. It said everything they did and everything they said and everything they thought was completely evil all the time. That's a pretty ugly list, isn't it? So when Noah's preaching, nobody's listening. Noah preaches for 120 years and not one person repents. They'd all decided they were going to go to hell. They made their own choice. Here's a lady. And again, I don't know. I think it was TikTok. I don't know. It's all the same to me. But it popped up on my thread, so I, I watched it. And this was her message. She said, I wish you Christians would just leave me alone and let me go to hell. That's the world that we live in today. It's frightening. Now, everybody does not think like that young lady. But there are a lot of people that think that way. And all you can do is say a prayer for her and move on to the next person who might be interested in hearing about how to go to heaven, about how to be saved. But here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we look at all this, and right now, you're loaded, we're all loaded down. Anxiety, worry, the economy, the money, uh, the wars, this, that, is this the end times? Whatever it is, everybody's got plenty on their plate right now that, that you're thinking about. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in twinkling of an eye, it's all going to end. That well, It's not going to be like some slow, gradual 30-year process where Jesus comes back. Trumpet's going to blow. Jesus is going to come back. And the time it takes for your eyelash to blink, it's all over. You'll either go with Jesus or you'll stay here, live a nightmare, and then go to hell. 
just telling you what the book says. Now, I don't think I had any idea of that concept until a couple months ago. I was out on a, I was out on a boat in the Gulf of Mexico. And they were doing these announcements, you know, and the speaker system sounds like you're at Burger King. You know, they're, and they're saying there's an air base here and maybe some plane there and, and you're like, whatever, whatever. So we're two hours out into the Gulf of Mexico and one of the top gun pilots buzzes our boat. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. I have never seen so much speed, power, noise. You didn't see the plane or hear the plane till it was on top of you. And then if you looked for it where it went afterwards, it was already gone. I'm guessing it was back in the hangar before I had a chance to figure out where it went. It is really an amazing thing to watch uh, the technology that we have. But in my head, I immediately said, that's what it's going to be like. Jesus is going to come. It's going to happen. And you'll be there or you won't be there. That's how quick it happens. But while we're here, there is one more thing I learned from that boat. Off the stern of the boat, I looked and I saw this. Boaters, you know what that is? It's a wake. That's what you and I should be leaving behind us. That's why we're still telling the stories. That's why we're still blessing other people. Because we want to leave a wake that three generations from now, they won't remember our name, but they'll remember our faith. That's what we want to leave behind. So I don't know in what area you need to get going. I just know we need to get going. So Father, whether it's to be saved, whether it's to remember your faithfulness, whether it's to go and bless, or whether it's to be prepared for eternity, whether people are in the land, or whether they're watching at home, or traveling, or they're sitting right here. Make it personal. Don't let one person walk out of here saying, somebody needed that, the group needed that, our church needed that. No, Holy Spirit, make it, this is what, God's saying to me, it's time to go. In Jesus' name, amen.